our county. It has Connellsville and Odyssey and... Oh, those names mean nothing to me. This is the Northern Territory of Maris. Maris? Hey everybody, welcome back to Odyssey Geek. This is episode number 25, and today I am very happy to introduce a new guest host on the show. You've probably heard of this person before and read some of his articles. This is David Hilder joining me today from the AIO Update. Welcome, David. Hey, Austin. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really awesome. So I I think I remember when the AIO Update first started, and I've been following it ever since. And I know, I know you're a big fan of Ventures and Odyssey, so to let people get to know you a little bit better, how did you first listen to Odyssey? Uh, well, that was way back in the day. I think I was about five years old, and our family, we got these cassette tapes um, of the early classics, which was basically a compilation, mostly mostly of episodes from album one. So I really started from, from the very beginning with Wits Flop and all of those classic episodes, Gifts for Magic Guy, things like that. And from there, my family, I have two older sisters, we would listen to Odyssey on the radio every day, basically during dinner time, during meals. That's how I, I really got to know Odyssey, all the different sagas. I love listening to the Blackguard saga in particular, and Novacom as well. Novacom was really special for me, I think, just because we all listened to it as it was coming out. Um, in the early 2000s, and I just thought, wow, this is such an exciting show. It can go into all these all these different places. It's not always the same kind of adventure um, for every episode. Yeah, Novacom's a good one to get hooked on with Odyssey. So what was the idea and the genesis for the AIO update? Yeah, so I had always been interested in in website design, but I never, I never did the, the homework of trying to design it from the ground up using HTML and all that stuff. And so when websites came along that were easy to make, that was just something that I did for fun. I did it for, for various various projects, like for school and things like that. I think it was during, yeah, during the time that the Green Ring Conspiracy was airing, there was a whole lot of news coming out. And I remember being really excited uh, about the story that they were they were doing an odyssey and i wanted to be a part of that news that was coming out all the time and so i created my website for that just to basically post news that was coming out that's why it's called update just for for news updates and over time i expanded it into some other areas and it's just been a really great experience i have gotten busy uh, more lately just with different life things so i can't always stay up to date with the latest news and so I've sort of shifted the focus now of AI Update just to be more the opinion pieces and the articles and things like that, which which I which are really fun to write, I think. Yeah, the editorials are probably the most probably the best part of the website. If listeners haven't read any of them yet, some of the most recent ones you did is Sounds Like a History, where you talk about some historical episodes you think Odyssey should make. A really great one you did was called The Boy Who Cried Novacom, kind of speculating on what might happen in album 73. And also, you did, I think, three or four articles on the topic of passages. That's right. And that is the topic of today's episode. Just fair warning for everybody, if you have not read all the Passages novels 
or heard the audio dramas, there's going to be a lot of spoilers up ahead. So I recommend you, well, I recommend all the books to you. You should go read them. But if you don't mind spoilers, go ahead and listen. So let's go ahead and get this discussion started. So Passages, for those that may not be familiar with it, or just a refresher, is a six-novel series that Paul McCusker, former Odyssey writer, created for Adventures in Odyssey, and he also created some audio dramas for it as well for the audio series. And these books are probably the most unique Odyssey novels because, one, they take place not really in Odyssey very much. It's very little, and it has kind of the supernatural fantasy kind of twist to it or basically these stories are kids from our world or the world of odyssey that are transported into this place called maris and there they see history kind of repeat itself because they see stories from the bible played out in a different way kind of like an alternate universe i believe the first books were printed in 1999 um we'll also talk about the audio dramas later there was a audio drama a two-parter called passages later called passages fletcher's rebellion to kind of go along with that probably uh, a good place to start with this is our first memories of encountering this series so david since this is the first time on the show why don't you go first yeah i think it would have to be for me the first time i encountered this passages was yeah listening to that two-parter which later they retitled fletcher's rebellion on album 34 just the experience um yeah with timmy riley going into maris and then alice telling the story to tom and yeah that was a really a really fascinating story for me just to hear hear that type of episode and whenever it played on the radio i was i was just always excited thinking okay we're doing something different we're we're doing something a little bit out of the ordinary it's not normal your typical normal odyssey it's act it's something special I think I remember hearing it on the radio. I'm not positive, but I think I first heard it. They had a sampler cassette tape with both parts on it. I don't remember having like the, the little cardboard slip cover for it. I think someone gave it to me or I, or someone found it somewhere. I think it was relatively soon after they aired on the radio. And they are very unique because it has Chris coming in at the beginning with this very kind of somber tone. And if I remember right, she says something like, and now a special presentation of Adventures in Odyssey called Passages. And then it starts with this really great music from John Campbell there. And you get Tom kind of narrating or journaling, I guess, maybe. And it's, it's a really incredible story. And I don't remember, I don't think I remember knowing that there was actually a book series along with that. I'm sure on the radio, they probably mentioned that at some point, like either commercial or maybe at the end of the wrap-up or something like that. Did you, did you remember anything like that on the radio when when it first aired? I think, yeah, I think they must have mentioned it. I didn't I didn't get into the books um, for some time after that, actually. I think it was it was quite a bit later. But yeah, I, I was just I was just fascinated by by the story, the story itself. And yeah, the experience is that the ghost characters had. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I've I've seen at least once or twice people saying that they think Fletcher's Rebellion is like some of the worst episodes of Odyssey or their least favorite. Oh yeah, and that it's kind of it's kind of mind boggling to me because I think it's it's a really good story. Again, it's different that if people aren't expecting that kind of episode, they may just think 
what's this? This is different. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's been out for several years. And again, with it tied to the books, people probably would have a better appreciation for it. But I also like too where, you know, it ties into kind of the storyline that ha- was happening at that time with the Timothy Center, um, Tom finding Timmy's diary. So not only does it introduce us to Maris and passages, but also continues the story arc of learning about Timmy and hearing a lot of his backstory and what prompted him to become a Christian before he died, which is mm-hmm. really awesome. Yeah, I I really liked how you were able to see a little bit more about the relationship between Tom and his son, how much he loved his son, similar to um, the episode, I think it was called Greater Love, where we learned a little bit about Timmy's backstory. And I just I just loved hearing more more about our, our normal everyday characters, the backstory. There we have a ton of episodes of Mr. Whitaker's backstory, what his life was like at various stages, and less so with Tom. So I think that makes this even more special, just the fact that it's giving us a little bit more insight into one of the characters who we don't know a ton um about their backstory. Yes, exactly. And one thing I probably would say is a drawback, something I don't like, is that they have, I think Blake Ewing that plays Nathaniel Graham played Timmy, and he was still voicing Nathaniel at the same time. He didn't mm-hmm. do a different voice. We have, um, when it plays Alice, young Alice, I think she plays, uh, not Courtney, it's... Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's like... It's she's part of the kids like after the first hiatus. Yeah, one of those album twenty nine kids. Yeah, that one I think worked a little bit better because we hadn't heard that character very much. But Nathaniel, we heard quite a bit in album thirty three mm-hmm. and thirty four. So I kind of wish they had a different character or a different actor play him. But it's such a great story. I I, I can forgive that. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience. Yeah, listening to Darian's Rise just because the kid characters Kyle and Anna they're basically Kelly and Everett and I it was a little bit tricky to make the adjustment I think Um, I think it would have been better if they had gone with some new kid actors for that well I think in that case I Kelly had been in a good amount of episodes Everett was only like a thing in two and then the same actor played young Eugene in a new era I think it was I think it worked a little bit better in that one but especially with Kelly because we had we had known her quite a bit and you know we had such a great send-off for her character in album 50 so mm-hmm. i yeah I, mean, I can understand that people you know if the odyssey team like says like hey we know these actors we know what they're capable of rather than trying to you know get brand new actors yeah it is it is a more safe choice for sure well we haven't gone over the books a whole lot yet so let's uh maybe talk about how we first read the books i think again i i didn't know a whole lot about the books I think I probably heard in passing or saw somewhere about the books. And I remember the first book I read was actually book two, Aaron's Judgment. Uh, I remember at a Bible bookstore when I lived in New Mexico, there was one there. And I think I bought it or maybe my parents bought it for me. I think the reason we got book two was I think book one wasn't available there. So I read that one for the first time and it was a little bit... There was a little bit catching up to do since, um, I guess I should back up a little bit. The books in the original versions, they have a prologue and epilogue where it takes place in Odyssey. We get to see Wit, 
Jack, Connie a little bit, and I think it was before he was on the audio drama, but the doctor from, oh yeah, Dr. Jennings from Hillendale Haven. So they do a good job of kind of recapping what they learned in the previous book, but coming in at that point was a little bit odd. But the story of Aaron's judgment, it was, again, it was kind of different. I wasn't expecting... I don't know. I'm not sure what I was expecting. It took me a while to figure out which Bible story it was, I think. I can't remember at what point it clicked with me. Like, oh yeah, this is the story of Noah. But it was a very interesting book. But I don't think I made an effort to read the rest of the books uh, much after that. I think it was a few years later. We were traveling and we were at another Christian bookstore. And I think my dad found Darien's Rise, Anison's Risk, and Glenwell's Betrayal, which was books 1, 3, and 4. And I think he bought them for me. And I read all three of those in a space of about, I think about a month, and I really got into the books at that point. I really enjoyed those those books, and later on, when they did the third edition of the books, I bought books five and six, so I got the last two and read those finally. So, when when did you start reading the books? Yeah, I actually got into it quite late. I think, yeah, one of my sisters had, had read the books I, as they were coming out. She had the, the first first um, print run of those. She would always talk about how, how great the series was, but I didn't really get into it until later. I think after, after I'd actually heard the 2009 audio adaptation of Darian's Rise, I just had heard, was listening to those episodes, and I loved them. I thought, wow, this, this is amazing. And there are books as well, which I had forgotten about. So I dove into those, and I just, I just loved the the mystery of it. Like you were saying in the in the bookends, it it ties it to uh, it ties it together, and it's basically this investigation. Wit and Jack are trying to figure out is Maris actually a real place, and I just thought that was a, a fascinating question that this would be a possibility raised in the world of Odyssey that there could be this other this other world and also just the fact that it was taking bible stories that maybe we've heard a hundred times before and then giving them this whole new fresh perspective um, being able to experience them as if for the very first time sort of similar to that ep- those episodes and adventure in Bethany where they take the story of Lazarus and but then they change the names they give them all the Hebrew names so it's actually Eleazar and it's not until the very end you you realize oh wait this is the story of Lazarus and I had no idea that Jesus was going to raise him from the dead because I didn't know what was going on so just the, having that whole that giving a a fresh perspective on those stories I think was a big draw reading the series as well. And so I, I basically, yeah, I read the series from, from start to finish after after hearing that, that audio adaptation in 2009. Yeah, that's, I think, for me, one of the biggest draws is experiencing those Bible stories in a whole new way. I think I, I was reading an interview that Paul McCusker did on the AIOHQ years ago, I think soon after the books came out, that Nathan Hubler had interviewed him. And I think Paul McCusker said something like, I think he wanted it accessible to people that had never read the Bible stories that those are based on. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was being either his main purpose or one of his main purposes with it. And I think it's I think it's great because it can be a gateway for someone to read the Bible. And for those that have heard the story so so many times, 
to look at it in a brand new way because soon after I think Aaron's Judgment, I think with the first the book after that, I think I read was Darian's Rise. You know, kind of putting your thinking hat on, like, okay, which story is this? But there's so many things different enough that it's not just the same story because there are some events change a little bit. You know, of course the names are different. It's such a fun experience, and when you finally have that, you know, aha moment. Like I know what the story is now. That's such a such a cool feeling to yeah. you know you figure that out. Unfortunately, I think I was spoiled. I think for books, I think it was book six. I think I might have got spoiled somewhere where I read that that story was about Moses. I think so. I think I went into that knowing what it was about, but I still had a good time reading it. And even going back and rereading the books, I've re- I reread I've reread all the books. I think at least three times. I think Darren's Rise I've read only two times maybe. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great um, value to it and rereading it. And one of the things I think is really great, I think that the best biblical fiction, I guess you can kind of label this as biblical fiction, almost, it's it's basically kind of like the Narnia of Odyssey. It's this alternate universe that has parallels or allegories, where with Paul McCusker, he was a lot more intentional than C.S. Lewis was. Um, C.S. Lewis, I know, didn't like people calling it an allegory. In some cases, I think some people thought he liked the word, like, you know, supposal or something like that more. Mm -hmm. So I know Paul McCuss was a lot more intentional, making it parallel more with the Bible. But still, it's not, it doesn't detract from the story. It's still a great story because it's based on stories from the greatest book ever, ever given to man. What I think what's great about biblical fiction is the best biblical fiction makes you go back and reread that story in the Bible again, and think like, okay, did that really happen? Like, what's the difference with it? And then you go back to it, and just like when you're reading it, you're you're like remembering it, you're thinking about it in a whole new way, because a biblical fiction in books like these, you know, they it kind of fills in the blanks, and maybe gives you some ideas like what some of the people in the Bible might have been thinking. You know, sometimes the Bible doesn't go into great detail on certain stuff, and we get that kind of imagining, like, well, what if this person reacted this way? What was their inner thought process? And it's great getting that. I mean, it's, again, it's not it's not a substitute for the Bible. It's not, you know, it's not scripture, but it helps you appreciate the real thing a lot more. Mm-hmm. It does make it more more real, being able to to sort of go along with the kids in the story and actually enter the world and interact with it, similarly to the Imagination Station. And once you once you sort of figure out that um, it is paralleling a Bible story, it's so fun to find like all the little Bible connections. Like for Aaron's judgment, all the names are similar to water. Like if you rearrange the name of Aaron, you can spell out rain and things like that. There's so many there's so many parallels that are just fun little fun little things for you as the reader to find along the way. Yes, exactly. So. Having read all the books, which one would you say is your favorite book and also what would be your least favorite book? Yeah, this is this is a tough one. I would have to say most favorite book would be Draven's Defiance, just because as I as I was reading it, for some reason this was this book I just could not figure out what Bible story <laughs> it was about for some reason. And as I was going through, I was just I was so immersed in this story and enjoying it that I didn't, I wasn't realizing um, what was going to happen next in the story according to the Bible. I had no idea what was going to happen next. Looking back on it now, seeing all the parallels just makes it that much 
richer. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of creativity that went into that book. There's, there's this concept that time stands still and nothing changes. And I, I still remember um, there's a scene in, in the book where there are these soldiers, they have a machine gun, they're, they're shooting at a, at a building, but the building isn't getting damaged. Nothing, nothing is allowed to change because time has stopped. And I was just like, whoa, that's a cool concept. And I had no idea. Is that in the Bible? That doesn't sound, I, I just like couldn't, couldn't place it. So I was very much, very much in the story. And it also has a very, it has a very touching ending with our main character, Scott. He actually ends up going back to Maris and staying there. And his parents, there's a, there's a whole backstory there. His parents, um, I think they had been unable to to have a child for so long, and they prayed to God for for a child, and God gave them Scott, and then they promised that they would give him back to God, and so them letting him eventually return to Maris and live there, basically for his lifetime, was their their gift back to God, and I just thought, wow, that is that's super powerful and and touching. Yeah, I really that is one of the most unique, I think stories they did also i think it's the only book where the person that's in maris is like telling you the story like it's in first person i guess you'd call it it's a great way to get their you know their thought process a lot more like straight from their mouth basically and again you know him staying there like no other book no other character stays there like when you find out like this is the story of elijah i remember reading reading the book and like wait he's staying there and i can't remember if it was before after soon before after that i was like wait scott is elisha and that was like mind blown it's like yeah that is such a great twist yeah that was that was just such a a cool a cool connection to me like even yeah all those all those biblical connections like when in darian's rise when we found out the old judge's name is is samuel or like wait a second i've heard that name before (laughs) yeah in terms of in terms of my least favorite, um, again, this is a tough one. I would have to say, Fender's Legacy, the last one in the series, not just because it ended the series and it didn't keep going, <laughs> but I just I felt like I couldn't really connect as well to some of the kid characters. I thought they were a bit annoying. They sort of they split off into their different groups. The the sister, I think her name was Michelle. She's she's hanging out with the villains that are enslaving the people, and I'm and I'm just reading that thinking like. Don't you realize that you're on the wrong side? Like, can't you just like solve things with your brothers and do the right thing and figure that all figure that all out? I still enjoyed the story, but I would have to say that would be the reason why that wouldn't be my favorite. Yeah. What was what was your favorite book? If I could real quick, I, I one thing I really like about Fendor's Legacy, it's not my least favorite. It's probably one of my least favorites, but one of the concepts I like in that with one of the plagues is where in the bible and exodus we have you know total darkness and this is like total light and thinking about it i I was thinking that might be even worse than total darkness because like the light you can't shut your eyes it's still Mm -hmm. there like you can't get any any you know relaxation from it and i guess like people probably would go mad with like can't see anything at all would be terrifying but that light because like your body too like when you have like sunlight and that kind of stuff, or like UV lights or whatever, your body has a hard time shutting down or like resting. And saying, "Wow, that would be so painful to have." Like you can't, you can't not see. Like it's all light; you can't see anything. And I think that was one of the really cool things they did with that. Also, too, and they have like the kind of like the Passover thing. It's really cool. It 
Paul Kessler is he is such a great storyteller. He has this point, like, you know, like, I think Blood and Ashes, I think, on every firstborn or every male's head or something like that. And I think it was in the shape of a cross or something. And then he goes to, I can't remember the two boys' names, but he says somehow they are already covered or right. they're already protected and they're they're both christians again it's kind of like an alternate parallel universe like this is in the past before jesus came like in, in maris that kind of thing yeah there's still some good aspects of that book but it's still not my favorite yeah it, that part i guess that's similar to jimmy in the imagination station when he experiences passover yes he's already he's already protected in that situation exactly yeah so for my favorite book I think, I don't think it's changed much at all. Even after reading all six books, my favorite my favorite is still Glenel's Betrayal. Probably for mainly the reason I love the story of Joseph. It's probably my favorite story from the Bible. Joseph is such an inspiring character. Here's this, you know, young man that's you know, torn from his family, sold as a slave. He goes through all these ups and downs, and yet his trust in God, his obedience to God gets him through it, and God rewards him for it. It's such a beautiful story. And reading the story through, you know, through passages in Maris, it's such a cool story. And I, I don't know. I I think I relate. Well, they may not, may not relate. I think I feel the most emotion, I think, for, I think it's James. James is the kid character from our world that joins him. And, like, he's like he's a slave with Glenel. He's, you know, probably more than any of the other books, the characters that come from Odyssey into that world. I think James probably gets the most ill treatment. Worked in the slave camps, like, in the mines, you know, sold as a slave and all that. For me, like, you can't help but feel sorry for them and, you know, get invested in, like, oh, I'm wanting things to turn around for them. And, like, if once you figure it out that the story of Joseph, you know, you can kind of tell, like, okay, I can kind of see where this is going um, I can't remember exactly when in the story I remembered that I put it together the story of Joseph. I think it was maybe about a third of the way through the book, maybe. I will say the one thing that does annoy me a little bit is I think Glenel's attitude because I don't feel like it lines with scripture too much because I think in Glenel's betrayal, Glenel has more of a more of a self-righteous uh, attitude and through pretty much all of the book, even through all of his mishaps, he's kind of wanting revenge on his brothers. And I think in the official guide, it talks about Glenel's betrayal was originally going to be called Glenel's revenge. That's right. But they changed that. And he didn't really get his revenge, really. And I don't think from scripture, it, I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but the way things happened, I think Joseph was a lot more pure in his motives and the way he went about testing his brothers and things like that. I mean, on the surface, you may look at it like, you know, him thr like accusing them of spies, throwing them in the dungeon. That's kind of cruel things. It sounds like he's kind of getting back at them. But I think God gave him the idea to do that, you know, to, to see, you know, if they had changed it all. Like, he never actually beat them or tortured them or anything like that. He was wanting, to, you know, to see if they changed, you know, get a bunch of information about his family, his father, Benjamin. And most of the book, Glenel is like that. And James calls him out on that quite a bit. Glenel in the book, he's very, he's committed to the Unseen One, but he feels like the Unseen One is going to help him get revenge. 
on his brothers. So that's that's one thing I kind of take issue a little bit with the story. But again, it's not, you know, the exact same story from the Bible. It's just kind of a parallel to it. If it was like a story, you know, labeled the story of Joseph and it was like that, I think I would have more issue with it. But since it's not a direct copy, I, I'm okay with that. That angle of the story, that just bringing in more more of that negative emotion from, from the Joseph character wanting revenge, I, I took that as just sort of trying to increase increase the tension, the drama of the story. Maybe maybe try to make it a little bit more realistic. Like you could imagine yourself in that situation wanting wanting revenge. But yeah, I I agree. I'm so, I'm so glad they decided to change the title and not call it Glenel's Revenge. Um, because that's not really that's not really the focus of the of the whole story. Yeah. And also one thing I really have a great memory on is before they did a third edition of the books, um, they were, I think on Whitson.org, they had a place where you could submit testimonials, like kind of mini reviews of the books that could be printed in new printings of passages. And so Glenel's Betrayal was my favorite book at the time. I hadn't read five and six yet, but it was still my favorite at that time. So I sent in a, a little review testimonial thing about the book. I think several months went past and. I think after it came out, I I think I found it in a found those books, the reprints in the Bible bookstore where I'd found Aaron's Judgment before, and I don't think I had any notification or anything. But I I opened the reprint of Glenel's Betrayal, and looked at the testimonials in there, and I saw my testimonial in there along with my name and like my state i think city and i was like oh cool whoa that's so cool like i didn't even know that i had gotten in there i just looked and like wow this is so cool that's pretty cool and then later on i'm not sure how long after that i got a package in the mail with i think a note from like focus on the family one of the members there thanking me for you know providing the testimonial there and they gave me a copy of the book and then i opened the book and i didn't know they were going to do this but it's signed by paul mccusker like wow that's so cool oh, like, wow. so yeah i i have not just the story itself like i like the book before i had my name in it and before i got an autograph by paul mccusker so <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not totally biased no no not at all <laughs> that's awesome but yeah so my least favorite book it's probably not because of the book it's probably because i've heard the audio drama adaptation so much is darian's rise i don't think the audio drama was as good as the book I really should go back and read the book because I usually skip over that when I reread the books because I hear the audio drama so many times. I think when you compare it to the books that come after it, there's a lot more unique factors to the stories and different angles. It's not hidden too much for the story of David. I think it took me about maybe about halfway through the book maybe to figure out it was David. But again, this was kind of like my second book reading the series and had been a while since the first one. So I don't think my uh, thinking cap was on too tight then. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking too hard about, you know, what story it was, I think. But I think that story, I, I think it's made slightly, I don't want to say boring, but it's slightly less exciting and less emotionally captivating, I think, as some of the other ones. But I think it also might be just, you know, hearing the story of it too many times. I should probably read the book and, you know, see what my opinions are after that because I think the book was better. But yeah, that's that's my least favorite right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a more it's a more tragic story, you might say. It's yes, it is about the rise of of Darian, but 
it's also it's also about the fall, the fall of Saul, and the consequences that result from that. How his whole family sort of falls with him, and Jonathan as well. In that way, it's it's not it's not as um, it's not sort of your expected happy ending where where things are resolved. Even our even our kid characters like Kyle. He, he ends up in failure with the king um, in the cave, and he feels like, oh, this is all my fault, this is horrible, everything, everything that happened, which does mirror the biblical account, but it, it does end on a, a sour note with that. Yeah. I, I finished listening to um, Paul's and Tales' dramatization of the story of Saul recently, where basically from Saul's beginning to around the time that Dave is in Wendy King. I think that one, even more than Darian's Rise, makes me feel so sorry for Saul, especially seeing how how well he was going, how committed to God he was, and how humble he was at the beginning. And it's just so, I think probably more time than any time of my life, I feel so bad, like, oh, like, I feel so bad, like, Saul, why couldn't you have done what God wanted? You Like, I mean, it's easy for us to criticize someone after the facts and those things, but, you know, if we were in the same situation as he was, you know, a king, that's a lot of pressure for someone. you got to pray for guidance. you got to pray for God to keep you humble. But, again, like you said, it's it's a very sad story, very sad ending for Saul and for King Lawrence and Darian's rise as well, and also for Kyle, too. Mm-hmm. So, one thing we touched on a little bit, but it's probably a good uh, time to talk about is the prologue and epilogues, I guess the bookends for the books, has its own storyline that's kind of, it's kind of separate from the story. Like you could read it without the prologue and epilogue, which you kind of have to with the newest printing. But it's a very fun mystery, and includes Jack, which at that point we didn't, I think in their first release, we didn't hear a whole lot of Jack. And it's interesting having Wit and Jack you know, interact a lot more. We don't see a whole lot of interactions with Wit and Jack after Wit comes back from the Middle East. So it's fun it's a fun way to get those characters together more. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like I think the ending for it I remember I've I've read I think all these books both of my sisters are younger than me, but I've read all the books except for Darren's Rise to my youngest sister. She had already heard the audio drama. She might have heard me reading to my other sister. But the way it ended in book six when I think it's James disappears and this reporter guy is kind of typing things up and it kind of ends where well it 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 ends where it all began basically right and you don't get final resolution you don't get a concrete answer is maris real or not there's enough there open but at the same time you know there's a yeah like i want closure here like i want an answer but it leaves it up to your imagination so i was wondering what what you thought about that ending and how it turned out. Yeah, I I thought it was a little dissatisfying just how the the series came to an end. And basically you have your your Odyssey characters. They've been trying, they've been putting so much effort into into investigating this mystery and then everybody at the end just ends up shrugging their shoulders and saying, "I don't know, maybe it's real, maybe it's not." But you get the kind of feeling that maybe it's not as important of a mystery as it as it should be because they sort of just leave it there and decide not to pursue it. You'd think if they believed that maybe there is a possibility that this is a real place, that they would have put in some more effort to keep 
keep the investigation going in some way. Mm-hmm. My guess is, this is just a theory, but I'm thinking that because this series takes place in the Veteranosi universe, I think there may be certain parameters on how far they can go outside of their, you know, Odyssey is very, very close to real life in some cases. Like, there is some sci-fi elements like the Imagination Station and some of the technology, but still Odyssey is pretty well grounded. They probably wanted to make sure that there was never a complete yes or no, because I know there may be some people in the audience for AIO not liking the idea of Odyssey and focusing on fantasy, like, hey, there is a real other world. The books themselves, like, the way they get there, it's not considered magic, where some people might consider it, but there are a time or two in the books where basically, I think, I think in Draven's Defiance, I think Draven, any of the old judge in Darren's Rise, like, they tell, like, no, you do not compare what the Unseen One does to magic, because the Unseen One is God, same God in our world, same God there, but I think some, I think the team at Odyssey probably wanted to be very careful in how they tread because they probably didn't want a lot of letters saying like, hey, why are you saying anything that there is another world like this? God only created this. Like open a lot of uh, theological debates, I guess, maybe. So I think they probably shied away from doing that. But it also may just be, you know, just, you know, Paul McCusker having fun. You know, like, I'll leave it up to you guys to decide, decide whether it's real or not, which... I think in Fletcher's Rebellion, I think we get a little bit more of a sense that Maris is real than in the books, except for like, you know, James Curtis uh, disappearing. Mm -hmm. I think you get more kind of closure with uh, Fletcher's Rebellion. The audio drama for Fletcher's Rebellion is the only time we have anybody in the story say, okay, what story from the Bible is this based on? Tom calls it out Gideon, which I'm glad the other books don't do that. It's they don't tell you at all. So if you don't figure it out, you're not like, wait, especially like if you're, if you never read the Bible, you're not thinking like, okay, what story is this? But I'm sure people probably could, you know, look things up and see which Bible story it is uh, paralleling. Yeah. With, with, with Fletcher's Rebellion, it really does, it does heavily imply that Maris is real because when you think about it, Alice, she's telling Tom about his, his son who's passed away and how he had this amazing experience in this other world. And she's basically saying, this is a real place. This this happened. So if she's lying, if she's lying to this man about her, his, about his son, that's kind of, that's she's basically like the biggest jerk ever. Yeah. I mean, really, when it comes down to like, what reason would there be for them to lie? Those episodes came after Malachi's message where we kind of have that same thing like you know is Malachi really an angel and I think Malachi gives the reasoning and I think I think C.S. Lewis uh had this argument too like you know either Jesus was a good moral teacher or no I think a liar a madman or he was truly God like one of those three and with like Malachi like either he's you know a liar you know a madman or he's an angel you can use that reasoning with Alice she doesn't seem insane. I mean, if she's lying, she's doing a really great job of doing this. But especially with her, you know, being about to die soon, or getting ready to die soon, like, why would she lie? Like, would she want her last, some of her last actions on Earth be lying? Especially when she professes to be a Christian. And I think in the books, you know, all that writing and all the connections to like, you know, like Maud McCutcheon and James Curtis and Wade's family. I think there's enough there when you look at it kind of overhead over all of them. He's like, okay, 
Maris has to be real in the same kind of way with the audio drama. But again, they don't give a definite yes or no, which I'm glad they don't say like, no, it isn't real. That would have been really disappointing, I think. Yes, probably it just confirmed what we would believe already. So I think I think it works. It just, I don't know. I think the ending prologue probably could have been a little bit different. It leaves a little bit to be desired, but it's not its not as much as like, a, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the club episode from this year called A Dickensian Dilemma. Um, oh, I've, I've, I've heard about it. That's the one that doesn't really have an ending. Yes. So like there's two possibilities and then it kind of ends with the audience deciding what happens, which I know some people have problems with the episode, which I kind of like that. It was unique for Odyssey to do that. Again, I wouldn't want that to happen in every Odyssey episode, but it's kind of like with this, like it leaves it up to you. There's enough there for you to work with. They give you enough to draw your own conclusions. And you kind of wrestle with the idea whether it's true or not or which way you would you would go in that situation. So I, I think it works. It is a little, a little bit disappointing, but I think it could have dis- be a lot more disappointing if they had gone another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sort of go right up towards that line, but then shy away from it. Um, and yeah, it's sort of... It's sort of similar to what they sometimes do with their more sci-fi things, like with Novacom. They created this Novak box, which supposedly has the power to enslave the human race, mind control, all of that. But before it's actually turned on, they stop it, and it's all it's all fixed. So we don't actually get to the full-on mind control phase, which if they had gotten there, if they had crossed over that line, I think that would have been a bit too far. Yeah, because we don't know for certain whether or not that technology would have worked. Like, it sounds like it probably would have. Mm-hmm. And again, in the parameters of Odyssey, the bad guys don't win completely or at all sometimes. But yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good parallel. One interesting thing about the bookends is in the latest editions of them, they have like omni books where like the first three books are in one volume and then the last three books in another volume. And those ones, the prologues and epilogues are removed completely. I find that kind of odd, but at the same time, I think I kind of understand the reasoning for it. I think, I'm not positive how popular the series was. I think at the beginning, they did try to tie it to Odyssey quite a bit, like in the first edition of the book. So like in the original one, they had the Ancient Odyssey logo at the top. It's not real big. Passages is a lot bigger. And then in the second printing, after the 1999 editions, there is the 2005 editions where... Like, the Odyssey logo is nowhere to be seen. Underneath the author's name says, From Adventures in Odyssey. You can't really tell it's from Odyssey. You know, the logo is nowhere to be found on the outside of the book. And then on the third printing in 2010, it is on there. The Odyssey logo has returned, but it still is really minimized there with it. And then I think in the latest printing, I don't have the Omni book, but I think... I think the logo is maybe even smaller, about the same size. Is it still on there in the? I don't know if it's still on there in the and for the Omni book. I think it is. Um, let's see here. Yay! It's always good when AIO Wiki is working while you're recording an episode of Odyssey <laughs> Geek. Doesn't always work that way. <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. So I'm looking at the picture on AIO Wiki and for. What they call the Maris Manuscripts. Okay. Wow. Okay. You're right. I did not see that. I thought it looked like Adventures in Odyssey really blurred, kind of blurred at the top there. And the second one, like I see it didn't have it. 
But yeah, at the top it says Volume 1, and the second one, Volume 2. Wow, that's interesting. So it seems like Odyssey has this kind of back-and-forth relationship, whether or not they want to tie it to Odyssey real closely or not. And I think that's kind of intentional, why with the last one they take the epilogues and the prologues out. Which, I think they still work, even if you don't know anything about the audio drama. You know about these people that's, you know, from our world, pretty much finding out about this. I think it works. You don't need to know who Wit is. You don't need to know who Jack is and Connie. It explains, you, it explains it enough in the books, I think. But I think in the latest books, they've kind of tried to get a wider audience than Odyssey to uh, have more people read it. But at the same time, for those that don't have access to like the old editions, if they're Odyssey fans, which I'm sure there's plenty of books you can find on eBay or Amazon or something like that. But I think these books in any form that they are, are very accessible to anybody in the Odyssey fandom and outside of it as well. And I think that's a great way for people to experience the series. And again, if they have never even read the Bible, these are still good books to get them, you know, get that story to them in a way, and then hopefully they'll go and read the real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can definitely definitely understand why they would want to reach out to a, a wider audience. And yeah, in terms of passages being successful or not i'm not totally sure how successful it's been they did only do one adaptation and you might think they if it was really successful they might have kept doing those those adaptations um but those haven't continued and i do think i do think the series is definitely the stories are strong enough they can stand alone you don't necessarily need the bookends but i still do really appreciate them just for the the heightened like excitement and adventure the investigation that our characters are going on just they're trying to figure out this mystery just because that's part of what first excited me about the passages series was just the mystery of it is maris a real place does it exist and i think we lose a little bit of that without those bookends Mm -hmm. and also i guess uh, i should say too like even the the books don't go in the chronological order of like the Bible. So like Darian's rise on the story of David, which is like from first Samuel. And then we have like Aaron's judgment, which is the story of Noah, which goes back to Genesis. So it does hop around quite a bit, but I think any of the books, especially if you don't read the prologues and epilogues, you could read any one of them in any order, I think, and not be lost. But like me, when I read Aaron's judgment for the first time, you know, haven't read the first one with those prologues and epilogues. It was kind of a little bit disorienting, not not a whole lot. But I think that's one thing. Like any of one of these books, you only read one of these books if you didn't have the prologues and epilogues and not have to read the next one. But I think having those prologues and epilogues, especially when you're getting the books by themselves, like one through six, it's a bigger draw to go and read the next book. If you're just so-so about the main story, you can at least, you know, maybe read the next book to find out what happens with, you know, Wit and Jack. Mm-hmm. So, like you brought up the audio dramas, you know, Fletcher's Rebellion was like an original audio drama that Paul McCusker wrote, I think, after the books. Later on, in 2009, during the second hiatus of Odyssey, after album 50 and before album 51, from what I've heard, I think the main, the main reason they did that was... I think they were needing more time to work on original Odyssey stories. So they used Darian's Rise as kind of a placeholder. I don't think they ever... I don't know if they ever really had in mind that they would dramatize the books. So it was kind of a quick, easy, cheap way to put Odyssey content out there without, you know, main storyline kind of stuff. 
And also, I think I think it's a great way for audiences to get used to the voice of Andre Stoika, since that's his first appearance as Wit. And we hear Wit and Jack interact at the beginning and end, but we hear Andre's voice as he narrates the book. So you may not be as used to Andre's Wit, but you're at least used to how he sounds. So when you hear him and the inspiration station, it's not a total jarring effect. And I think... I don't know if that was super intentional or not, but I think it worked as a great bridge between, you know, Paul Hurlinger to Andre Stoika from album 15 to album 51. Yeah, that was a good transition for to do it that way. And I remember listening to it for the first time, and I was really excited to hear it since I had read the books. And it had been like almost a year since any Odyssey content. They have the Truth Chronicles come out soon after album 50. So I was very excited to hear the audio dramas. However, I think... I don't think the audio drama was as good as the book. I mean, I guess a lot of people might say that about adaptations of their of books that they've read. But I didn't really care much for um, Rachel Fox that plays Anna and Shane Balmel that plays Kyle. I don't think their voices match very much with what was in my head. Like I, I know people have different voices they attach to characters when they're reading books. I think um, Jacob Isom on the Odyssey Scoop, when he, I think he wrote a review on the series. I think he brought out that I think the actors were very, maybe too polished in their reactions and acting. Like, they're trained actors, but I think it's almost to the point of kind of a detriment that it doesn't sound as real and raw as, like, some of the actors from early Odyssey. I think that was one thing that kind of let me down a little bit, which I didn't care much for the acting from those two. I think the adults are really good. I think Roger Rose plays Darian... I think he does a really good job. Sounds a lot like Townsend Coleman. He does. <laughs> I think at first I was thinking like, wait, is that Jason? I think I, I, it took me a while to figure out that it wasn't wasn't Townsend. Jim Cummings as King Lawrence. I think he does a great job. He was the best. Yeah, I think the best performance in that one. Yeah, I think sometimes he almost it almost seems he almost plays it a little bit much like a caricature in some cases, like near the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think like after you know, like after the old judge dies and close like you know with the the seance or whatever at the witch's house and you know in the battle when he I think when Jim Cummings had like more of a lower register and not as you know like kind of you know kind of a blustery like pompous kind of voice I think it works a lot more for how I picture you know Saul and also like King Lawrence from the book to sound like yeah I also I I wasn't a huge fan of yeah Kyle and Anna. Um, the casting for that but yeah overall i think i was i was super excited when it when it came out i think they had made a a trailer or something with some different action scenes that were gonna happen in the series and i just i just loved the i would say yeah the plot of it it was just it just seemed like a fun adventure i think similar similar to like robin hood just like going through the countryside trying to escape from this um this king this bad king and i was yeah just excited by by that part of it yeah i think there's a lot of potential but i think from what i've heard i don't think it sold very well like even on the club it's not featured very well like it's at the very bottom of the list pretty much and even though darian's rise has episode numbers like it comes after kidsboro and then comes right before the inspiration station part one I think like they first aired on the radio like on radio on the weekends and I think I think soon after that I think only one time I may be wrong about this but during the daily broadcast like the daily rotation they skip over Darian's Rise. Oh yeah. I think there's only been once since its first official release that they played it and it's kind of weird 
But at the same time, I can kind of understand because they never finish it because they're copying the book. They're having the Wit and Jack stuff. And even when, you know, Alan Yang was alive, they didn't do anything with it again because they probably didn't need to. But I, it would be kind of weird to have like you hear Kids Burl, Darren's Rise, and the Inspiration Station. And then we have like uh, over 20 albums since then. And still the mention of that. So maybe they don't want to confuse audiences too much. Like, wait, how does it, how does this continue? Like what happens next kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a nine parter. It would take up quite a bit of space, I think in that rotation, but yeah, I think, yeah, it does speak to the fact that it is quite a bit different from your regular Odyssey episode, your regular saga, which would be normally referenced in other places. Like, occasionally characters will reference what happened with Blackguard or Novacom or something like that, but Passages is different for some reason. It's never referenced outside of its own episodes. And I know one of the articles you wrote or one of the editorials you wrote was how, like, they continue, like, going back and revisiting Passages again. Did you want to, I don't know if you remember it or not, but did you want to summarize a little bit what you think about how they could continue it on the audio series? Sure, yeah. So I was sort of thinking about since now that Alan Young has died, they, they can't really, well, they could if they wanted to, they could recast Jack, but so um, assuming that wouldn't happen, uh, my idea was sort of to bring another character in the place of Jack to continue the investigation with Mr. Whitaker, and I had settled on Jason as a possibility. It could be, it could be other characters as well, like maybe Connie or even Wilson, Wilson Knox. Yeah, for my idea, I had Jason and Wit and Jason was basically, I like that combination just because Jason would have been super skeptical about the possibility of Maris existing. I feel like for for much of the series with Jack and Wit, there's not a huge difference between between them in terms of whether they believe Maris is real or not. It seems like both of them are on the same page with that. But where if you had Wit and his son Jason, I think they'd they'd very much go off in in different directions with wit probably being a little bit more friendly to the idea of maybe maybe this is a real place and jason living in the real world thinking like are you crazy that's that's insane this could never happen and so having the conflict i think would be a a good driving force forward for for audio adaptations yeah it's been a while, it's been a while since i read that article but I think I kind of disagree to a certain extent. Uh, I think you you had a really great, like really great storyline kind of planned out of what they could do to get, you know, bring it back, you know, re- kind of recap and get things back and rolling. I think Wilson would be a good fit as well. Like Wilson is, uh, he is a pastor. So that'd be, you know, kind of an interesting kind of angle there, you know, like, you know, he's, you know, been a seminary and get that kind of stuff. Like what is his kind of thoughts on this, like, you know, another world or that kind of stuff. I think that'd be kind of interesting if you wanted to keep that more similar to like Jack, but yeah, I think Jason would be a, a, a good foil, I guess for wit and that, but I kind of pictured a little bit like, you know, like me, Wilson, or if with your idea with like Jason, like kind of picking up, like, you know, some years later, like we I mean, changed it from how the book was where like in book two, they go back to, I think the estate of mom, the country or something like that and go through her stuff, change that. And, like, okay, there was nothing there, and the investigation kind of ended, Jack moved away, and then later on, like, Wit finds this other manuscript, and that kind of 
triggers things forward. They maybe maybe have like a previously on measures analysis kind of thing. Maybe they could even tie it to the the story of of Tom and his and his son, and maybe maybe they find something. Maybe Tom wrote something about it about Ooh, hearing this wow. story. Yeah, that's a great idea. Wow, that 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 would be a great way to you know tie Fletcher's Rebellion to the book series. That that's a really that's a really cool idea. Again, I don't think it sold well, and it's kind of minimized in the Odyssey canon nowadays, and especially the books, like with the Odyssey connection. But I know there has been talk in recent years about them possibly doing more episodes of Odyssey a year rather than like the normal 24. And for me, like, yeah, it'd be fun to have more like regular Odyssey episodes a year, but I think it would be cool if they had the resources to do it for a good while to do like one dramatization of a book a year so you have like do Aaron's judgment next and do like nine ten seven episodes however many episodes it takes to tell the story finish that off and then continue with you know the regular odyssey episodes doing like you know me 36 episodes a year or you know like 30 episodes or something like that the odyssey universe it does seem to be expanding like in recent years with all the different things that they have going on they have these multiple ongoing book series like with young wit and the the Blackguard Chronicles, and then we are having these comic strips coming out with returning characters who we haven't heard from for a while. So yeah, I think that would be a great addition to have something ongoing in the Passages realm as well. Like even the Imagination Station series, that's been going on for a while, right. and I recently finally got into the series. I only read like the first book several years ago, and I'm well out of the target range for that. But once I got past that and started reading more and against the later books, there's some really, really great stories in there. And they take the Imagination Station a little bit differently than they are in the audio series. It's almost more of an actual time machine and kind of a more sense of danger when they're using it. Them going with passages again, I don't think is, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Several years ago, I had an interview with Paul McCusker about the possibility of like new books of passages being written and i think he said that he might have had some ideas for it <laughs> i should have went back and listened to that again um i'll probably link to it in the podcast notes he did tell me that i think he already had mapped a way for the unseen one to become like the seen one like basically you oh, know cool. god coming as jesus that would be really interesting to see how passages like me more books like take you know, New Testament stories, like the, the passages books we have now and Fletcher's Rebellion, they're all Old Testament stories, which those ones are probably a little bit easier to work with since there's so many different diverse stories in the Old Testament where the New Testament, it's mainly just the Gospels and like, you know, like Acts of the Apostles and that kind of stuff. But it would be really interesting how they would have that come about in that universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be even more controversial. <laughs> uh, trying to, yeah, create yeah jesus or like in narnia we have aslan how would we do that in passages um yeah that would be a <laughs> you might get letters about that <laughs> yeah well at the same time too like they they do equate unseen one to god like they don't like in the first book you know like uh anna says you know the, oh like the unseen ones like god and then the old judge says like you know not like god the unseen one is god like the books do make it clear that this is the same god. It's not like a alternate deity or whatever, like it is in like with like Chronicles of Narnia. 
So I think it would work okay if they did, you know, bring in Jesus into like the New Passages books because they've already planned the idea that yes, this is God. There's it's not someone replacing God. It's God working a different way in a different world. Yeah. And just the idea because they put so much emphasis on calling him the unseen one. I know in our world like the idea of God coming down to man it's such an incredible idea. Like, why would he stoop so low to come down to our level? But the way that Maris is and the way they revere him as the unseen one, you know, taking that idea and having him become the seen one, like they can actually see him. That'd be like, am I, I'm picturing kind of like almost being even more mind blowing than how it is we read in scripture. I mean, again, it's kind of a different universe and that kind of stuff, but just the idea of, you know, the unseen one becoming the seen one, and how that would play out would be so, so cool to read. Yeah, I mean, we do get a, a similar similar idea in scripture with, yeah, the Hebrews. They're not supposed to create like an image, an image of God. But then God creates his own image um, himself, uh, um, Jesus, in the New Testament. But yeah, I definitely I definitely see that that connection there. That that switch from the name unseen one to the seen one would be, would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Myers actually did something like that. He wrote a book called Eli several years ago, and I read it, and wow, that's that's a, that's a really incredible book. And he kind of does, kind of like what Passages does to a certain extent, but basically provide an alternate universe of our world where Jesus comes in modern times. Like basically, how would the world at the time of that book being printed, like how would the world react to him if Jesus came today like like who would be the people that followed him like how would he be born who be the religious leaders and the people that killed him and all that like how would that go about I don't want to ruin the story for those that haven't read it but it is such a cool again just like these passages books do it takes scripture and paints it a little bit different light it's the essence of it is still there but it makes you appreciate the impact of the original even more and just just that that mind experiment or that mind that thought process is like what it would be like if Jesus was in our time like you know an actual human here on earth like we kind of picture like how would it have been to live back in you know bible days we get that with the imagination station and stuff but it's such a almost more mind-blowing idea like what if he came today that would be so you know so amazing like how would that work and I think if people do want want to get that kind of same kind of feel and see how that might work in an alternate reality you should go check that book out. It is it is written for adults. I don't recommend it for kids. There are some aspects of it that are probably a little bit too mature for kids to read. But for older teenagers and adults, it's a really good read. Okay, what was the title? Eli. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Actually, I think Bill Myers has written a kind of a sequel series of uh, kind of of Eli, who's supposed to be a Jesus in this, in this alternate reality, where it takes place during like jesus's or eli's uh high school years i haven't read those books yet so i can't uh can't say if i recommend them or not i haven't read it yet but yeah speculative fiction like this with the bible again i know some people may take issue with you know like they're trying to change scripture or whatever and i think there's a good there's a healthy boundary on what you change what you don't change i think if you twist scripture to mean something it's not meaning like to kind of you know suit your own purposes and your own agenda I think that is wrong. But again, when you're doing something like passages where it's not it's not a one-to-one, uh, this is equal to this all the time. And even Narnia. Narnia is even further apart from that. You can see some parallels. Some may be intentional, some may not be. But you can pull out what you want from that. 
But, you know, if it was, you know, someone saying, oh, yeah, this is the Bible, but they change a lot of stuff, edit a lot of stuff out, then, yeah, that would be an issue. But for me, like I said at the beginning, the best biblical fiction makes you go and read your Bible more. And if that, if it makes you do that, makes you appreciate it more, I think that's a benefit to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with with passages, one of the, one of the benefits is that it's for kids, and a lot of Bible stories, um, they have various elements which may not be age appropriate. You might want to not have your have your kids know all the details until they're a bit more mature. And yeah, I, I just remember like Darian's rise opening up. Um, Darian, he's going on this mission to get to steal all these metals from from the Palatians. And yeah. that's definitely an age-appropriate <laughs> version of the story. And you, I can't imagine Odyssey like actually going through verse by verse the actual Bible story in that case. Yeah. Well, also, too, they also like me gloss over some things. Like with uh, David and Absalom, Like they don't have him going into detail talking to Olivia about what happened to Absalom's sister. Again, making it age-appropriate. Um, for the audience there. But yeah, I, I think what we even talk about quite a bit is, you know, these kids from our world experiencing the Bible for themselves. I think kids, more in the target range for these books, it gives them an opportunity to kind of picture themselves right there, to experience these stories as if they're there. And, you know, if you have someone, a character your own age, experiencing experiencing stuff, you're going to put yourself in their thoughts and their feelings a lot more. Hopefully we'll give them a stronger connection with the story and with the Bible as well. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up about the series or you think we should go ahead and wrap up? I definitely hope that the stories continue in some way, whether that's through the, through the book series, more, more adventures there by Paul McCusker or audio drama adaptations. I think that would be just, that would be great if they would just complete it. Um, It does feel a little, little incomplete with them just having done one and then not having followed through to do the others. And I think, yeah, like you, like we were saying, it's just a, a great way to experience Bible stories and how God how God interacts with us. Odyssey does this in, in so many different ways, like with the Imagination Station or kids having their own spiritual struggles, like with Olivia recently with her story arc there. And I think Passages is just another another avenue for that. And it sort of, it, it appeals to maybe not everybody who's listening to Odyssey, but for the people that do like the more fantasy style stories, the more otherworldly type adventures, um, I think it would be, it would really appeal to those to those folks and sort of do something for them um in in the same way that odyssey has done more sci-fi type stories for for people who are fans of that for things like novacom i think passages is sort of like the fantasy alternative to that yeah and I, i hope that the series does get a lot more recognition i think it's underrated probably one of the more underrated series uh, the book series from Odyssey, it's it's forgotten quite a bit. I don't hear a lot of people talking about the series. Um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about passages on this on this podcast because it's such a rich story. There's so many different elements of it. There's so much, you know, uh, going back and rereading it, you're going to find a lot more about it, see things that you didn't see before. And it's just a shame that it doesn't get much recognition. With Paul McCusker not working for Focus on Family anymore, like he still does, like he did uh, The Long End not too long ago. I'm sure he probably could do more stories if the demand was there, and the autodramas too. So, yeah, listeners, if you really enjoy the series, 
you know, you could always, you know, email Focus on the Family, you know, send them a comment or a message on social media and like say, hey, we want more passages stories and listen to passages more on the club or, you know. <laughs> yeah, just on repeat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, you know, crash the ser- servers playing passages over and over. No, not really. Um, but yeah, like, you know, buy the books if you want people to read, you know, buy copies of the books and give it to a friend that hasn't read it yet or, you know, buy the CD albums and spread the word. Yep, exactly. So yeah, passages, if you haven't read it yet, if you hadn't heard them yet, go do that. If you've already read and heard them, hey, never hurts to revisit them again. They're great stories. Well, that was a really fun discussion. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate you joining the podcast today and for discussing this book series with me. Thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome. And hopefully I'll get to have you come back on the podcast again in the future. That would be awesome. All right. Well, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd let me know. And if you didn't enjoy it, let me know as well. And let me know, you know, what your favorite books are from the series, whether or not you thought Darren's Rise was a good adaptation or not. Anything about this episode, you can let me know by emailing me at odysseygeek at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send me a message there. You'll find me at odysseygeek. It's still O-D-Y-S-E-Y-G-W-E-K. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. If there's people in your life you think are Odyssey Geeks as well, make sure to share this podcast with them. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye! Bye!